glad you are with us uh, once again and uh, wanted to just quickly um, draw your attention to something. If you fast forwarded to this point in the video, you missed some really, really important stuff at the very beginning. And so wanted to let you know about our um, July 4th baptism service that's coming up, among other things, but especially that one. We want everyone who is uh, a part of our Kingsway family uh, and friends to be able to be a part of that specific service. So July 4th, 9.30 in the morning here on the Kingsway parking lot. Uh, we have, um, uh, there's no limit to how many people we're allowed to have based on the distancing. So we would love for you to be a part of that and uh, looking forward to it. So if you need more information on that, uh, please skip back to the first three minutes of the video and you'll find it there. Uh, so moving on from there, we're going to dig into uh, his word uh, right now together. And uh, we've been talking over the past number of weeks about being uh, devoted. As, as the early church um, started with just a handful of people and really shocked the world and many others by surviving, it was because of certain things. And one of those uh, was that they were devoted to a number of things. We, we've kind of given a pop quiz over the last number of weeks, but I'm, I'm hoping that those are like embedded in your mind already, that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, um, the, the new Testament scriptures, uh, as well as the Old Testament, because that's what the apostles were teaching from, um, as well as um, they were being devoted to prayer, devoted to the Lord's Supper together, uh, communion, as many uh, would call it, and devoted to community, uh, to this uh, knowing one another so closely and being there for one another and doing all of this stuff together. And so we talked the last couple of weeks about how God wants to use um, different things in our life to help us build a foundation of faith. Uh, we talked in the first um, message about two builders, a wise builder and a foolish builder who built, they built buildings, but Jesus' um, analogy was talking about how people like you and me, we build our lives on something. And he said, by, by being just a hearer of, of, of his teaching and not a doer, you're not actually building a firm foundation for life. And he said that, that trusting him with what he's taught, to put that into practice and into action, is, is how you build a life on a firm foundation. That when storms come, you're the one left standing in the end. And then uh, the following week, we talked about personal ministry. How when you step out of your comfort zone, you're like, God, I got to trust you. And you watch God work through your life. Man, that builds your faith. It, it, it's like that exercising of a muscle. And, and for many of you, you've been prompted by different things. And I would encourage you to step out of your comfort zone and, and trust him. And then third, we talked last week about the different people in your life. We talked about how there's the, the bringers, the people who bring you to Jesus. There's people who encourage you. And I don't know if I've ever talked more about sandpaper in a week, this week, than maybe my whole life. Lots of different people having these conversations about how sandpaper affected their life. And if you have no idea what that means, please go back to last week and look at how God uses different people to build faith, build that faith foundation in your life. And then today I'd like to take a look at one more, which is um, called personal devotion. Personal devotion. You know, it's one of the things, I don't know, maybe for you too. It was one of the things that growing up in, in faith, uh, in a Christian household, it was one of those things that I struggled with um, uh, throughout my, my life. You know, the, the keeping the routine of personal devotions. And maybe when I say devotions, there's all kinds of different things that come to mind for you. Maybe it was like reading a devotional or you're going to do a Bible plan or it was like you had a time of silent prayer at some point in the day. I was a really great starter with those, especially January. January January was like my month, you know, I'm like, I'm going to do personal devotions, and uh, I was challenged to do it, and I'd be like, my first week, I'd read like 15 chapters of Genesis, and then I'd get into like the sketchy stuff, I'm like, ah, and I'd fizzle out, 
And other times joining like the Bible app and the Bible reading program and I've got my streaks going on, you know, going strong three weeks in, day 22, day 23, and all of a sudden fizzle out. I don't know if you've had that same thing, but I wanted to talk about that today because that's something called discipline, which is uh, what a disciple really is. And we've been talking about being disciples of Jesus. Not, not When Jesus called people to follow him, it wasn't just to believe that he exists. It was much, much bigger than that. And I've learned that, you know, discipline discipline's not one of those words we love. It's not really, uh, we don't love it in the moment. I should say that. I think we love it later on down the road. I've been reading a book called The Benedict Option. And as many of you know, I don't read a lot, but lately I've been reading a lot. And I would recommend this book as well. Uh, I think every Jesus follower should read um, the Benedict Option. Just understanding what it's like to be a Christian in a post-Christian uh, world and, and community. Uh, and you know, the, the thing that we learn is that those, those disciplines, they're good for us down the road. Uh, there's a girl in our young adults group, and she's just talking about how she wants to raise money for um, different mission things through running five kilometers. And she's like, but I don't run five kilometers. So she got a book, and the book was From Couch to Five Kilometers. And so she's somewhere in between right now where she's doing walking and running for two kilometers. And I was like, that sounds great. I pretty much, I think I'm still on couch, but I'm at least on the, on the journey, right, from couch to 5K. But it's this idea of getting, working out that discipline until, you know, pretty soon she'll be running 5K and, and literally changing a part of the world as a result. I think she'll look back and go, man, that was worth it. You know, I think eating healthier is another one. You know, it's eating healthier. That's a tough discipline, right? Saying no to sugar and, you know, you go a whole week and then you're like, wow, I did Monday through Saturday. I deserve a Sunday. And then the chocolate, I just, I, I, I can't help it. I know you're like, oh yeah, that's a dad joke. I'm a dad. It's Father's Day. That, that's my one, that's my one, um, um, well, I'll be more disciplined for the rest of the message. So, you know, we we don't always love the disciplines at first, but down the road, man, man, we look back and go, yeah, there's something about that that I'm I'm glad I did. And it's really what I want to uh, to touch on uh, tonight. You know, as I was reading, just, just reading through the, through the New Testament, along with about 65 others from our Kingsway family. It's been, it's been really, really great. Uh, the last little while, we've been reading about Peter and, and Jesus' interactions with Peter. And man, so many times, it just, it jumps off the page to me. And I was, I've seen it in a, in a light. I, I guess I've really never noticed it before. And so I wanted to, um, I just want to look at some of those things uh, t- uh, today as uh, as Jesus was interacting with Peter, and where our lives mesh in with that as well. So if you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 16. It's the be- very beginning of the New Testament. If you see red letters, you're in the right place. Matthew 16, verse 17 and 18. Jesus says this. He replies to, to, um, to Peter. He had asked him a question. Who do you say that I am? And, and Peter's like, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, uh, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. And I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. We've read that verse a number of times, talked about it a lot of times. But what I came to realize over the last little while is that Jesus really is building his church. It sure doesn't look like anything that I was used to over the past 10 years. But as I have had a chance to be a part of some of the small groups and some of the, the, the other smaller gatherings, some of them not that small, but just watching God at work and, and him building his church. I realize I can only be in one place at one time. And some of you, you're watching this online and 
Even as a result of that, God is building his church and he's right there with you right now. He's here with me right now. It is, it's incredible. And to be honest, I'm glad he's the one building his church. I'm glad he's the one doing it. You know, and I realized, you know, as we've talked over the last little while, that we've, we've said the church is not a building. It's not bricks and mortar. It's not services. It's people. It's actually the literal word is gathering that Jesus said, I'm going to build my gathering. And we've talked at length about how important the gathering of believers is because something happens when people gather. But you know what I realized this week? That in this conversation with Peter, that it wasn't just the gathering he's building. He was building Peter too. This was individual. This was, this was personal. Peter understood in that moment and throughout the time that he was with Jesus, that Jesus wasn't just building a crowd. He was building Peter and he was building others. Peter would later write to the new Jesus followers a number of years later. He wrote to them in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. He says this, you... He's writing to the believers. He's like, you, personal, you, you, you're, you are coming to Christ. You're not coming to religion. You're not coming to rules. You're not coming to Judaism, you know, 2.0. You're coming to a person. You, personal, are coming to Jesus, personal. And he's the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And he says to them, and you are living stones that God's building into his spiritual temple. You're part of of his gathering, of his church, of his place of worship. It's not a building. You're it. And he says, what's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. He's saying to them, you're not an island to yourself. This whole thought of, you know, just, you know, Christians being able to be scattered everywhere. He's like, no, there's, there's something to this thing of being gathered together. But he's also saying, you're not just, you know, some dumb rock. You are like a living stone, a living, breathing part of what God is doing on the planet. I wonder if we realize that. You know, something happens when we gather together, but as we've said many times, each part, I hope you said, plays a part. Because you know, as we've said over the last little while, that each person and each part plays a part. You can find that in Ephesians 4.16. And I wonder sometimes if we think about those words, and we can say, hey, each part plays a part, but what comes to our mind? Well, yeah, you know, the pastor, he, he plays a part. You know, he, he, does, he does his thing. You know, that MC guy who was up here earlier, yeah, he plays a part. All, the, the band, the musicians, the worship leaders, yeah, yeah they play a part. Um, you know, the kids, the kids uh, ministry people, yeah, they, they play a part. But me? And we've been talking about this and, and repeating this over and over. My hope is until we get it, that each part plays a part. You know where that often gets revealed? In the smaller church group gatherings. Because it's in the big gatherings, you know, in a few weeks from now, we're going to have hundreds of people potentially here on the parking lot. Not everybody gets to do something at that point. But, in, but his design is that we would all be playing a part in discipleship. You know, I remember being, I maybe you've been there too sometimes. You go to, you know, a small group gathering, you're sitting around in a circle and you ask that question. We often do the questions after and you, you know, you ask questions like, so, you know, what's, what's God been teaching you this week? I mean, that's a real pastorly question to ask. And every once in a while you get that room that's just like dead quiet. It's like crickets. And you're like, uh... And then you're like, well, you know, well, what have you read in the word this week? Just more crickets. And, and sometimes, you know, you, you find that there's people who said, hey, yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. And you ask, you know, when's the last time you read your Bible? And there's crickets. 
Because they, they, didn't, they don't understand and think sometimes, well, that's, what, that's what's going to happen on, you know, Sunday morning or Saturday night or whenever I watch the video, that's what's happening. But that's why I love the idea of being in small groups because it draws that out of us. It helps us to build disciples, to become his followers, to become disciples. Paul wrote about it actually to the Corinthian church. And I find it interesting because Paul's home group was the opposite. His Corinthian small group church that they, he was writing to, I mean, they, they were like... Maybe you've been to one of those groups where, you know, they ask a question and all of a sudden sister talks too much, just never stops. You know, or it's like the bunny trail that's not about bunnies, but whatever it's about, it just never stops. Maybe you've been there. Well, Paul was there and here's what he writes, but he lets us in on something beautiful in that moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26 on to uh, 33, I believe. It's the message version, so the the verses are a little jammed together, but here's what it says. He says, so here's what I want you to do, is what Paul's saying. He's like, you you know, your your church group's kind of chaotic. He's like, I want want it to be beneficial for everyone, so here's what I want you to do. When you, what? Gather. Again, the assumption is we're going to gather together for worship. He's like, and when that happens, he's like, each of you should be prepared. How many? Each. Why? Because each part plays a part if they're prepared. He's like, each one of you, be prepared with something that's going to be useful for everyone. So again, you know, useful for everyone, he's meaning something spiritual. Maybe you can come in like, well, I know like the price of soybeans for the last 17 years. I can quote it from memory. That's not useful for everyone. But if you've been in scripture throughout the week, there's something useful for everyone. He says this, maybe it's sing a hymn. You know, maybe it's leading some, some worship at a, at a group, or it's maybe it's teaching a lesson or telling a story, leading a prayer or providing an insight that you've learned from his word. And then he says, and just be careful with this. He's like, take your turn. You know, don't let one person just take over, which I feel like is what happens in our traditional North American version of church. There's just one guy at the front who, it's like taking over, right? You don't even have a chance to talk back to the screen. Well, you might, but I don't hear you. You know, it says then, he says this, but he says each speaker gets a chance to say something special from God. He's like, can you all learn from each other? If you choose to speak, you're also responsible for how and when you speak. And when we worship the right way, God doesn't um, stir up into uh, us into confusion. He brings us into harmony. And this goes for all the churches, no exception. This goes for all the gatherings, no exception. No, it doesn't matter how small, how big. He's like, man, I want there to be order so that there's growth. But the idea that's in there is like, let each one be ready. Let each one be ready. You know, if you meet in a small group and you're hearing this, what happens next time if you meet in a small group, you know, or you come to a service and, you know, the pastor doesn't make it? You know, or all of a sudden, wow, there was a technical glitch and we don't have the YouTube feed. What are we going to do? I mean, I just hope that happens sometime. Just to test this theory, will you have been prepared? Let each one be prepared with something that's useful for all. You know, it's like the, uh, the backup goalie that's, you know, um, playing in, uh, for, the, for the team. You know, the playoffs, some of these goalies haven't had a chance to play at all, but they're ready that moment that they go in because the Stanley Cup is on the line. You know, for some of you, you're not as much into sports. It's like the symphony orchestra. Maybe, you know, if you look at the picture, maybe I'd say, can you find yourself in there? You know, each part is playing a part. It might not seem like a, a, a major thing, but they were prepared. Do you know those musicians didn't come together and be like, um, what's an A chord? No, no, they, they figured all that out at home. They figured out all the music and they practiced and they were ready. And when they got together, they made something beautiful. 
just like our team tonight. You know, it's it's um, the it, same with uh, the Euro Cup, which is on right now. Go Holland. Uh, but the, that the, the players, you know, I watch videos of them just practicing all on their own, just getting good with dribbling. And, man, they can, they can, they can make a shot from anywhere on the field. So when they get together, they're ready to, to vie for the prize. Why? Because they, they prepared at home. And so I wonder, have you prepared yourself? Have you prepared something for the gathering that you're a part of? Have you prepared to bring something to that? You thought, well, I, I, I didn't know that that was part of it. Each part plays a part. So back to Peter. You know, even though Jesus was surrounded by crowds, he wasn't really trying to build crowds. That that wasn't the goal. He was trying to build people. And many of the moments that we read about were these individual personal moments. Like in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 34, Luke got all the eyewitness reports. And so as he was uh, asking, you know, people, tell me what happened with Jesus. The disciples said, well, there's this one time when we were together with Jesus. It was actually right before, right before he went to the, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus looked at us, the 11 disciples who were left, and he actually, he spoke to all of us, but he, he kind of pointed out Peter and he said, Simon, Simon, Satan, the devil himself, he's asked to sift each of you like wheat. You know, I know he's talking to Simon, but he was talking to all of us in that, in that room that night. Yeah, he's like, man, Satan, Satan wants to sift each of us. Satan wants to shake us and see what's, you know, what comes out. Verse 32, Jesus says, but I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon. And I'm, pr- I'm praying for you, Simon. Why? That your faith shouldn't fail. Simon, <laughs> Satan's asked to like send a storm your way. I'm telling you, it's coming. It is coming. But Simon, man, I'm praying for you that your faith, your trust in me doesn't fail. That when that storm hits, your foundation is strong. I don't know about you, but I've been sifted every once in a while. Ever had a storm shake you up? Man, the, there, if, if it hasn't happened, it's coming. And that's that, that prayer that I believe that he prays for us is, is that our faith would remain strong, that it wouldn't fail, that our life wouldn't collapse. You know, I like what Jesus says, though. You know, in this statement, he says to Simon, he's like, Simon, I'm praying for you that your faith won't fail. And he says, and so when you have repented and turned to me again, he's like, strengthen your brothers. He's like, he calls out in Peter this, the, you know, this, this, um, the future telling of saying, Peter, you know, you're going to get sifted. And, and after you repent, you know, after you get it back together, he's like, man, strengthen your brothers. And Simon's like, what do you mean after? Like, he goes on to say, Jesus, I'm not going to turn on you. He says in verse 33, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you. Like, I'm ready to even die with you. And Jesus says, Peter, <laughs> just let me tell you something. You probably don't want to hear this right now, but before the rooster crows three times tomorrow morning, you're going to have denied me three times. But I love that Jesus calls out the best in Peter and says, Peter, when you've repented, when you re- even, though you've, even though you fail, Peter, you're not a failure. I want you, I've, I've got something planned for your life, Peter. I want you to stand up. I'm calling out that boldness in you again, that courageousness in you. And I believe that that's the same thing for men tonight. If you're listening to this, that he's calling that out in you. That maybe, you know, there's been things in your past that have been fa- failures that you feel like, oh man, I failed. He, he he's must have given up on me. I can promise you he hasn't. If you read through the life of Peter, man, there's like epic fails. You know, epic fails throughout scripture. He hasn't given up. I believe he's calling that out in people tonight that he would, he would call out simply that, that courageous spirit to rise up in you, that, that boldness to lead, but also that humility to continue to learn. 
You know, for those who don't know the story, it plays out exactly as Jesus predicted. Peter, he, it's like Jesus was God. You know, he knew. And we know that he was. But it's, he called it. And, and, and Peter denies Jesus three times. And then all of a sudden, he actually, he actually has eye-to-eye contact with Jesus the third time he denies him. And then the rooster crows. And Peter and Jesus' eyes meet for one, one second. And that conviction of, wow, he was right. And Peter's like, man, I've just, I've just denied him. And he weeps bitterly and he leaves. But just because... He failed doesn't mean he's a failure. You know, later on, Jesus would meet Peter on the beach after Jesus had risen from the dead. And he would ask him famously that question, Peter, do you love me? Three times he asked him, like, Jesus, yeah, you know I love you. Three times for the three denials, there's three times where it's restored. And what does he say to him? Peter, then feed my lambs, feed my sheep, strengthen my flock. What's that a reminder of? Exactly what he had said to him back then. Peter, when you repent, strengthen Strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. We're not done just because there was, a, there was a hiccup, a goof up, a slip up. We're not done. We're not done. Why? Because Jesus was building Peter. I love this. John chapter 21. John jumps in and uh, he kind of tells the rest of the story after Peter and Jesus have been on the beach together. In verse 19 it says this. Jesus said, or Jesus had just explained to Peter that he was going to die by crucifixion. And verse 19, Jesus said to Peter, and let him know what kind of death that he would glorify God. Uh, That jumped out at me this week, you know, that a death could glorify God. I guess if our lives can glorify God, if that's what our lives are lived for, then may our deaths glorify him as well. You know, it says this, then Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Here's what's coming, Peter, but follow me, follow me. And then it says Peter in verse 20, he turned around and he saw behind him the disciple that Jesus loved, who's the one writing this. And he says, it's the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? So you know it's John who's, who, uh, who's behind and he hears this conversation. Verse 21, Peter then asked Jesus, Jesus, well, what about, what about him? Like, I'm gonna, this is what's going to happen to me, but what about, what about him? What about John? And Jesus replied, listen, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? He says, guys, for you, you follow me. I don't think it can be any clearer than that. That he says to the individual Peter, Peter, this isn't, about, this isn't a group thing. This isn't like, here's the plans I have for the group. Peter, this is personal. This is, this is my personal plans for you, and we're going to do this together. You follow me. Follow me is not just believe in me. We, we, we do believe in me. He's like, man, follow me. Do as I say. And do as I do. We don't have too many leaders that we can follow that we can say, you know, we'll do as they say and do as they do. But Jesus was that kind of leader. You know, and I think that's why it's so important that any other leader would point people to Jesus. You know, don't follow me as, as uh, just uh, and do as I say or do as I do. But follow Christ and do as he says and, and do as he does because that's what he's called us as his followers to do. And why would we do personal devotion? Why would we slow down and be devoted to prayer and devoted to the study of the word? You know, the truth is, it's because Jesus did. Like, if we're following him, then we would do as he does. You know, Peter actually had a buddy named Mark, and Mark wrote down, you know, Peter's account of Jesus' life. And in Mark chapter 1, right at the beginning, he says this, Mark 1 verse 35, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Bright and early, where is he going? He's going to find a time to just pray, just to be with his, to be devoted to his heavenly father. 
Later, Simon and the others, they woke up and they went out to find him. When they found him, they said, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. You know, that, that idea, we got, Jesus, you got like important stuff to get done here. There's people who've come to find you. What are you doing out here in the wilderness? He said, man, I've come to spend time with my father. I've come to, to be devoted to him in prayer. Like, Jesus, don't you think like you were a little too busy for that? You know, we have important work. And, you know, I think about that. If Jesus had such important work, but he was able to take time just to spend time in prayer, do we, how much more should we? But I don't know about you, but for, for me sometimes it feels like my important work actually is, is what replaces that time for prayer. It's the thing that's like when I wake up in the morning, it's like it's just bombarded with the thoughts of this is what I have to do. And begin to sit and say, God, I just want to hear your voice. God, I just want to dedicate this, this moment and this day to you. And man, those voices come like, no, I'm going to push those to the side for a bit. Because I just want, I just want to know the, and want you to know that you have my devotion. Can he have your devotion? Does he have our devotion? You know, I think it starts out as, you know, sometimes as habit or as routine, but it doesn't stop there. You know, this idea of spending that time, devoting time to prayer, devoting time to his word, it starts out a little bit, um, like, and you can build it like a habit, but the habit isn't the answer. You know, routines are great to build structure in our relationships, but the routine's not the relationship. You know, it's like, you know, when, when uh, people are dating, if, you know, if you're dating and you, you take her out to the same restaurant on the same night at the same time every week and you order the same things and you pretty much talk about the same stuff, can I, pro- I can promise you, you aren't going to be dating her very long. You know, if you guys, that marriage, if you bring that into your marriage, like, yeah, we're just going to do, you know, there's routines that we, this is what she does, this is what he does, and, and, and that's, that's not a relationship. You know, with our family, we have Friday night family nights, and it revolves oftentimes around a movie, and then there's chips, and, you know, then there's daily dose of internet, and then we do prayer and brush teeth. But that, that, that routine of Friday nights was to create space for family night. And sometimes it's like our kids are like, this is what's next, and then this is what's next, and this is what's next, and then, and then, we're, then we're done. But the idea is that we would have a night carved out to build relationship. You know, we know in all of our other relationships, so what about devotion? What about devotion? Is it, is, has it become just the habit of, oh, I read the daily verse, and maybe I texted it out to people. I did a quick prayer, and, and now I'm done. I did, I did my part. I, I did my habit. You know, or is it, you know, maybe for online church, you know, you fast forward to the parts you like, you skip to the, to the end of the speakers talking too long, you know, you push play, you, you know, maybe, maybe this is how your Sunday morning goes. I've heard people, you know, wake up, fast forward, push play, listen, push pause, turn it off, go back to sleep. And that's become the routine, uh, you know, of online church. But my challenge for you would be to shake up that routine, that the idea of, of that devotion was simply that we would know him. You know, for me, the last little while, I've just decided, you know, I had this chair in this place where I would sit and, and I realized it would, it would become uh, just that, that same uh, routine of, well, I'm, do, I'm doing the right things and the habit is good. But I began just to take a walk through the garden or take a walk down the driveway or just begin to sing and just begin to have time, just time with dad. And, and I, I would encourage you with that to shake that up a little bit because relationship, it's in that part of the relationship, in that devotion to him personally, not, not just corporately, but personally, where he gets a chance to speak to our hearts personally. It's like those Jesus and Peter moments that you can have, Jesus and Mark, that, that heart-to-heart stuff. And I had some of that this week where he's like, man, he doesn't call me man. He calls me Mark. But, 
dealing with stuff in here. Sandpaper, actually, you know, sanding off some of the rough edges that I have inside. Because I have them. You know, it's in those moments where it's like, God, here's my heart, that he gets a chance to do something in there. You know, those moments is where it's like, God, I put my dependence on you today. You know this day. You're already there. I'm on my way to it, but you already know. So Jesus, I just surrender today. I know I got lots of stuff to do, but you know that. So God, I want to put this day in your hand. And I know that's going to be busy, busy, busy. So, So this moment, I want to just be solitude. You and me. And silence. God, I'm not even going to speak my prayer. I'm just going to silently focus on you just for a few minutes. Try it, man. Wow, it can be, feel so difficult sometimes to find those moments of silence. But here's the, here's the question, I guess. And I was reading Emotionally Healthy Leadership by a guy named Peter Scazzaro. He just simply, he simply makes a statement in there. Does the, does your t- do you have enough time just with God to support all of the work you do for God? Because if you don't have enough time just with God to support the work you do for God, you will burn out. And I know in my life, every time I'm stressed, this is why. It's just simply just not enough time with him. And it doesn't mean it's like hours and whatever else. For some it was. You know, as I was reading through this, it was like that that moments of just creating opportunity. Creating certain amounts of, um, of time. And, you know, reading through scripture, it's like, I can't count how many times that the scripture I've read that morning comes out again later in the day in a conversation with somebody. It's like, it's like, it's like somebody knew that I was going to need that. And the truth is, he did know. And does that happen every day? Not a chance. I'll blame that on me. That doesn't happen every day. But the truth is this, that if I didn't spend the time every day, I would never have those moments where it happens. And even speaking with somebody this week on the phone, she just said to me, you know, as I was, I was out during my day, all of a sudden I just heard the voice in my, in my head just saying, you need to love others. I loved you. You need to love others. And as a result, it affected her life. And she's like, I just, you know, recognize his voice in my life. And it's why? Because we create opportunity for that. And you're like, well, yeah, but I'm busy. <laughs> ah, man, boy, do I get the underst- that thing of being busy. I read these two quotes, old guys. Long gone, but man, powerful thing. St. Francis de Sales, I have no idea who he is, but he said this, every one of us needs half an hour of prayer a day except when we're busy. Then we need an hour. And we're like, wait, no, no, that'd be the opposite. Martin Luther said this, he says, I'm, I'm just going to read there. He says, if I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. I have so much business or busyness that I, I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. That idea, like, when it gets busy, i got to pray more. And it's that thought of, you know, when there's more weight to carry, I need to spend more time with the burden bearer, the one who carries it, the one who carries me. And I would encourage you with that. You know, as we finish with Peter... In Acts chapter 3, which we read today in the Bible plan, you see Peter and John going to the temple. It says, for the hour of prayer. Then later on, they would say, we, we, need to, we need to do less of these other things so we can devote more time to that. And they just kept on doing it. And, I, and that's my question for, for me and for you. What about us? How is that part of personal devotion in your life? Because this thing is much bigger than just being devoted as a group to something, but simply being devoted personally. Am I personally devoted to him? And does my prayer time, does my devotion time reflect that devotion? You know, a healthy disciple wants to grow. And let me just finish with this. 
that a discipline, it's not always desirable at the beginning. Unless you can see, look at it and say, you know what? Yeah, there's something in there that I want. I don't necessarily know that I'm going to love every step, but I want that end result. And a, and a healthy disciple is like, man, I want to grow to be more like Jesus. And what happens as you do, it almost becomes odd when you, when you, when you skip that part in your life. When it's like, man, I didn't have a chance to sit down and just spend time with him today. Something was missing. I saw this uh, this week, um, there was a, uh, an interview with Cristiano Ronaldo from uh, Portugal. And as he sat down, there was a bottle of water and two, two bottles of Coke strategically placed on the table because it was a Coke advertisement. He looks and he looks angry and he grabs the two Coke bottles and he puts them off the table and he grabs the water and he holds it up and says, Agua, <laughs> drink water. Why? Because he knows, you know, that's what's good for, the, for, for, for his body. And I'm sure there was times where he's like, man, I wish I could drink Coke. I wish I could drink the sugary water. That's the stuff that, that I really want right now. But he's like, no, you know what I really want is to break all these records and set all these records and, and drink the water. And Coke's lost uh, all kinds of um, market share and profit and whatever else as a result of one guy's statement. But here's my question. You know, what if we thought about the fact that Jesus is building us into his disciples, that God's hands are at work in our lives. And that time of personal devotion is where we allow him right in to where it matters most. I'd encourage you not to skip it. Don't miss it. You and the world around you will be grateful that you, that you, uh, you, you took the time for personal devotion and it will build that foundation of faith in your heart and in your life. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. Thank you that they're living and powerful. Thanks that as we just slowly take time to hear your voice, we hear you speak. That it's personal. That it might be 50 different things for 50 different people, but truth all the way around. I'm grateful for that. Father, I just pray this week that by your spirit, you would continue to draw us to the things that build our lives and build, build faith in our, in our hearts and in our lives. And Lord, as people take the time to slow down open their hearts to you. They may truly hear and get to know your voice in a powerful way. Father, thank you for welcoming us into your family. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life and paying our way in. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for sealing us for eternity, for directing our steps even today. Love you. Thank you for loving us. We honor you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before we go, I want to leave you with a few discussion questions. So if you're meeting in a, in a group of people, or maybe you're doing this at some point during the week, or you know, maybe just with your spouse or some friends, take a couple minutes just to go through this and, and, and do yourself the favor just to slow down and say, God, what did you want to say to me? So we always ask, what things jumped out at you? What things jumped out at you from today's talk? And then secondly, what's jumped out at you? Just to be honest with yourself, what's jumped out at you recently from your devotion time, your personal devotion time with the Lord? That's kind of a loaded question because it assumes that there was some. And maybe for you, I'm like, ah, I never gave him a chance. I'd love for you to try and answer that question again in a week from now. And then third, what hinders you from being devoted to the word and to prayer personally in your life? Or what, what hinders you from personally being devoted to those things? Because if that's what the early church was devoted to, and that's the type of church that changed the world and lasted through the, through the storms of, of the centuries, what hinders you? What's getting in the way? And then finally, what have you prepared in private that you're ready to share and encourage the others with in public? Maybe for you, uh, it, it was learning to play the guitar. 
learning to lead worship. Maybe for you, it was like, man, I had this song that just been just uh, been ministering to my heart, and I want to share it with the, the group. Maybe as you've been studying scripture, you're like, you know what, I, I, man, I just have to share what God's been putting in my heart. I love how people who are doing the Bible app, you're posting it on there. It's, it, we need that. We need, and it's great for you to continue to do that. What is it? What, is, what have you had the time to prepare in private that God's going to use to encourage others in public? Why? Because he's building this church, and that includes you. I look forward to see what he does in and through this, this group of Jesus followers uh, because the results are eternal. So knowing that, have a fantastic week. Uh, continue growing in your faith with one another, and we'll see you again soon. Love you.